Real Fun DC. Hospitality and a little bit of sass are always on the menu. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, on the Real Fun DC channel. Uh, if you're new, thanks so much for joining us and a little intro of myself. So I've been covering the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene for the last 18 years. Uh, I do co-host a food and wine variety show called Foodie and the Beast. I do that with my husband. I am the foodie, he is the beast. Uh, that happens in real life and also on the show. Uh, and we just celebrated 13 years on air. You also may hear me regularly on WTOP. I do trend reports and roundups. And also where it all began, the listareyouonit.com, the online e-zine that tells you everything that's happening in the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene. Um, I hope you follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I don't really love Facebook, but it's a necessary evil. Um, Instagram and Twitter are my much preferred ways of communicating. Uh, and here on Industry Night, I love this show because I get to do a much deeper dive with different guests on what's happening in the hospitality and food space. But first, as I do on every show, I want to tell you a little bit about where I've been. Now, actually, last week was really busy. I was out. It was so bizarre to be out as much as I have been. Um, it feels a little weird still, but I am vaxxed. I am boosted. Um, I'm in good shape and I'll wear that mask if you want me to. So I am your perfect candidate for this pan uh, pandemic. So um, I checked out Lenny and if you haven't been there, it's definitely worth a check. So you know um, the chef, Brittany Anderson, she was just on Top Chef. She's one of the most celebrated chefs out of the Richmond area. And she recently opened an all day cafe in the Roost called Lenny, and she started serving dinners there now, um, Thursday through Saturday, uh, Saturday, featuring takes on her Swiss cuisine, um, which she's totally famous for, and for good reason. Uh, Brenner's Pass in Richmond is one of my all-time favorites. There's like melted cheese on everything. Uh, but this is a lot lighter and a little brighter, lots of really terrific tastes and textures. Um, some things I really want you to check out. It's a very limited menu. There's only 10 items. I being me, of course, ordered one of everything. Um, the shaved cabbage salad does not sound sexy, but it, I told her she has to rename it. It's so yummy. It is so bright and delicious. And it is uh, punctuated with persimmon and also something called malt soil. Um, the earthy warm mushrooms and roasted Jerusalem artichokes are just like a fall favorite. Everything about it is delicious. And her roasted chicken is just bright with lemon and served on top of a roasted radicchio that is absolutely covered um, in shaved pecorino. Um, again, that cheese. Uh, so if you have a chance, check out what Brittany is doing. It's I'm so thrilled that she's come up to DC to share her style of food with us. Um, everybody knows DCers are all about brunch and there's so many great places to have brunch. I checked out Nina May's brunch uh, last weekend and um, Chef Colin McClemens, he's just a little darling. And um, Nina May is a little gem, it's tiny. I mean, I don't know if there's more than 60 seats in there. They do have some outdoor dining, but there is a reason that their brunch is garnering so much buzz. Um, again, another limited menu. I think we're seeing more and more of those around the area. Um, but go for the babka, stay for everything else. But the babka is delicious. Of course, I'm a absolute babka freak. It's sort of a brioche roll folded and folded and folded and folded again. Uh, this one with cinnamon, it's a little ooey and gooey in the center, a little dry on the edges. Um, it's everything I want in a baked good. Uh, but they have a lot of really veggie centric dishes, which you don't really see a lot in brunch. So um, if you have a chance, I would totally stop by. Okay, that's enough about me. We're gonna have so much to talk about on the next show when I tell you about Peter Chang and what he's doing in the area. And then of course we have all this Thanksgiving stuff. So we'll get into that later. So the Hill Center is a true gem in the city, um, a real community center that focuses on cultural and arts and it's a nonprofit. And listen, during the pandemic, they got completely disconnected from what a community center does. Um, and they were impacted in a variety of ways. Um, so what does a community center do when they can't serve in their original capacity? 
they get creative and create a community cookbook. Uh, with me today is a lot of people I know, um, Bonnie Wolf, editor of the cookbook, A Taste of Hill Center, Recipes for Our Community Table. Bonnie Benwick, I feel like everybody should know who she is. She's contributor um, uh, to the book, but also a former deputy food editor and recipes editor at the Washington Post. Uh, Bill Schindler, who was on Industry Night quite a while back. He has a new cookbook. Um, he is also a contributor in this cookbook. He's an archaeologist. He's a chef. And he was the founder of the Eastern Shore Food Lab. And Marion Chihamba, hope I said that right. Uh, she is a contributor, but she teaches the No Boundaries and Family Style Cooking Series at the Hill Center. And um, she brought me cookies, so she's my favorite. Uh, but first, a name everyone should be familiar with. He is a chef, a culinary instructor, a multi, 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 multi award winner. Uh, you have read his books and uh, you have probably tried to replicate many of his recipes. You have seen him on TV. Uh, hello, chef. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I was, I was just cooking chicken for my dog. Oh, well, hey. We have huge dogs, uh, two very big dogs, and uh, it takes my husband about a half hour to cook their meals, um, breakfast, breakfast and dinner. So we're, uh, my, we are, we are my, dog is not, my dog is not very big, he's oh. very small. That's okay. Well, I won't judge you for that. Okay, good. Uh, so chef, um, listen, you uh, have an incredible incredible uh, reputation, and you do so many different things. Can you just um, sort of highlight for everyone before we get into your foundation and what you're doing, what you've been doing sort of the last two years with the pandemic and everything? How has work changed for you? Um, and, and, you know, I mean, everybody knows you. I gave you a great intro earlier. So can you tell us what you've been up to and what you've been doing? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I've been very busy. I'm working on two new books, one coming out next year, one the year after already. But uh, a couple of years ago, at the beginning of the, you know, of the whole thing, my, my daughter uh, told me, why don't you do some small, uh, some small recipe for me to use on Facebook, because she does Facebook, I don't. So we've done 220 of those, uh, three, five, six minute recipe. And, uh, and so we've been busy with that, and uh, we're probably going to have a, a book coming out with that as well. And uh, so, uh, you know, we do like 10, 12 a day when we do it. I do it with my friend, uh, Tom Hopkins. We have been my photographer for 30 years now, or 40 years, well, whatever. Uh, on, on, on a long thing, time, on the, a really long time. Yeah, right. <laughs> Then he's the photograph. So we are two people in the kitchen. So I do the dishes, I do the cooking, the dishes. And he has one fixed camera on me and another his telephone that he takes close up with. So it's a very limited production, but uh, it, it's, it's good. It's simple recipe using what I have in the freezer, the refrigerator, in the pantry, following the season, showing people how to do simple stuff. So it's been pretty rewarding. I mean, we have like, over one and a half million people following that on, on Facebook, you know, so, so that's good. Let me ask you a question because you've been helping people cook for so long, especially in this country. How has that changed for you? As I mean, American diners, American cooks have become more interested, uh, have more access to products. Farmers markets are everywhere. We have better products. We have more educated. I feel like it's there's a more educated consumer out there. Do you feel that that needs to be reflected in the recipes and the cooking that you're doing? Yes and no, because, you know, everyone understands a recipe at their own level. Like, you know, I give a class and I'm going to do puff paste or something more complicated and people say, well, they are really beginner or they are very advanced. I don't have two ways of explaining puff paste. I explain it one way and people pick it up at different level if they know about it already or two. So you have that type of thing, but 
cooking has changed in over half a century that I've been here. It's, it's like another world. When I came to America, uh, I remember going to my first supermarket. There was no supermarket in France yet, and here it was just starting. I thought it was a great idea. Instead of going to the butcher and the fish guy and the fish, everything under the same roof, except there was a lot of package, a lot of package. There was beautiful meat. There was beautiful lobster. But there was one salad that was iceberg. There was no leek. There was no salad, no oriental vegetable, no good olive oil. It was another world. Now the supermarkets have never been as beautiful as they are today. So of course it has changed people. People were not interested in wine. Now people go to Europe to go to travel for wine in cheese. Bread, there was not really great bread too. All of that has changed amazingly. So yes, it's a different, uh, a different market. Well, and does that allow you to put together, not worry when you're putting your recipes together because you know people have access or know, you know, know what radicchio is or, you know, and also there, I think there was so much fear about butter and calories. And now people I feel like are cooking. They're, they're more yeah. eating cook, you know, yeah. cook well. Yeah, you know, when you cook, I mean, I have like 30 books, 31. I did a book for Cleveland Clinic once for cardiac patients. All right. I had a colony in the New York for 10 years who took how to cook very inexpensively. So the, the thing was money. I did two series on television called Fast Food My Way, where I took package from the supermarket and uh, opened them and did three or four dish directly from there, showing people how to do what you do in a professional kitchen when you have a prep cook who prepare the food, slice the mushroom, chop the shallot, wash the spinach, pour out the fish. I buy all of that at the supermarket now. So you use the supermarket as a prep cook. What I'm saying is that what I did for the Cleveland Clinic or for the New York Times, all those are different focus. So the same way when I do those little shows that I do, sometimes they are very simple. I use stuff I have in the refrigerator or in the freezer. Some other time they're a bit more sophisticated. One doesn't prevent the other. It's not like you cook the same thing or the same way all the time. With yeah. the weekend, you have time, you put some bone, you want to cook a sauce or do stock, whatever. Some of the time, you know, it's six o'clock, you want to eat at 6 30, 30 minutes, you have to have everything on the table. So it's a different uh, situation. So I show a little bit of all of that, you know, using one thing or another, but in a way which I hope is appreciable that people can, uh, can understand and use it. Uh, enjoy it you know so well let's talk about the uh, Jacques Pepin Foundation and uh, the supporting of teaching culinary skills for employment when did you start with that how did that become so important to you well the the Jacques Pepin Foundation was really created by my daughter Claudine and my son-in-law Rolly mm -hmm. but they came out with the idea and so forth but I have done 13 series of 26 shows for 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 KQED where you have hundreds of shows, either of technique that I've done or a recipe and so forth. I have, as I say, 30 books and all that. So he took all of that material, you know, to establish things either on Instagram or there to show people the very simple, proper way of cooking starting. And that starts with the technique. So there is the emphasis on technique. I mean, I have a book called La Technique was published more than half a century ago. And I don't cook the same way now. But that book is still current because the way you sharpen a knife, peel an asparagus, bone out a chicken or poach an egg is the same way, you know, that it used to be. So that's why we insist on the technique, trying to show people in community kitchen, people who have been kind of disenfranchised by life, like coming out of jail or former drug addicts or homeless people and so forth, how to show them those very simple, basic principle of cooking so that they can reintegrate the restaurant business and work, you know, and, or do their own little restaurant. So that has been kind of uh, rewarding. And this is not unique kids which are 20, 15 years old. It's like 25, 30, 40, 50 years old people who get into that business and get back some dignity and get back some love, you know, and, and something to do in life. So it's, a, it's been quite rewarding, actually. I, I bet, and I, I have always said, um, and I have not been around as long as you, but um, the restaurant industry uh, is an incredible career path for so many people. Um, and I, I think what the foundation doing is terrific. Can we talk a little bit about the, the membership 
and what it gives access to because Giving Tuesday is coming up. And uh, I think this is a, 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 I think it's a wonderful gift to give to somebody, but I also yeah. think, you know, is some place that people are looking for some place to donate to a charity. This yeah. is. But my, my son-in-law is fantastic. He's been very good for that. Beginning of the pandemic, we couldn't really raise any money. So we decided to do, to ask chef to do a video for us, to create a book with a video to, uh, I don't think that any chef have refused. I mean, from Jose Andres to Martha Stewart, from Rachel Ray to, you know, to, to, to uh, Andrew Zimmer and uh, Thomas Keller and so forth. So we've done uh, two or three series. I think we have the, the third series coming out on the 31st of, uh, of, uh, of what, of January? November. Uh, of November, 31st of November, which is giving day. So people can have access to all of that material for the first series, the book, who goes with it, the recipe, not the book, but I mean, have it by recipe or by chef or by this to, uh, to be part of, uh, to be part of uh, you know, our organization. So that, that's a great thing that he did. We even won a webby on that, whatever that is. But <laughs> um, yeah. Um, it is um, such an honor to have you on my show, and I, I wish I had scheduled more time with you because I have so many other questions I would love to ask, but I know you're, you have limited time. So um, I, um, Raleigh is coming on my other show uh, later uh, this year to talk oh, good. about your presentation good, uh, good. and about your fantastic videos and what you're doing. Um, so thank you, Chef. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you, Nick, and uh, happy cooking. It's Industry Night with Mickey Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. So as I said in the beginning of the show, community cookbooks used to be a thing. Um, in previous generations, you would be hard pressed not to find one in area communities. They're an excellent fundraiser and a real community builder. Um, I'm not sure why the pastime has dwindled, but that's not what this show is about today. But I am thrilled that uh, Bonnie Wolf, Bonnie Benwick, Bill Schindler, and um, Mary Ann Chihumba have joined us today uh, to talk about what they've done with the Hill Center. So Bonnie Wolf, I'm gonna start with you. I've got two Bonnies today, uh, spelled differently, but unfortunately nobody here can see that because we're on radio. Uh, hi, Bonnie, how are you? I'm good, Nikki, how are you? Good, so nice to have you back. Well, it's, thank you for having me. This is, I'm delighted to talk about this. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the Hill Center. Sure. Tell us Hill a little bit. Yes, tell okay. us. We're, I'm sorry, I'm, I have a little lag in my um, Zooming here, but um, Hill Center opened 10 years ago. So this cookbook celebrates the 10th anniversary as well as uh, provide funds for pandemic related ills, but the building was built, uh, was commissioned in 1864 by Abraham Lincoln for, to treat Civil War soldiers. It treated one, one soldier, I believe, and then the Civil War ended. And the building was in disarray for many, many years. It's on Capitol Hill in Washington, and it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful building. And it, a group of neighbors got together and after 10 years put together the Center for Community Learning, civic events, talks, uh, children's classes, tippy toes, and a lot of cooking classes, which the three other people on your show have all taught. And um, it's been very successful in the 10 years we've been open and we're looking forward to the next decades. Well, so let's talk about the addition of cooking demos because there's a pretty impressive kitchen uh, that was part of the renovation there. What was the thought behind that initially? I mean, was it really like, oh yeah, we can do cooking demos here? Or were they thinking about it as an entertaining space? Where where was that initially? Oh, it, it's only for for classes. It can't be an entertaining space because it, of 
certain regulations, but, and we do have a catering kitchen so that, which can be used for entertaining, but it's just uh, for cooking classes and the variety is wide and deep. I mean, uh, Mary Ann teaches all sorts of interesting things from her travels. Bill teaches you how to forage and then cook the things you pull up from the alley. Bonnie teaches how to make the most beautiful Christmas cookies. And there's a lot uh, in between their knife skills and uh, all sorts of, of classes. And they've been very successful and very popular. Uh, well, I know they're popular and I know they sell out. Let's talk about as a community center, you know, let's go back to March, 2020 when everything shut down, you know, a community center is there for the community. It's about bringing people in. How did you all respond to that and sort of figure out other ways to be a community leader still? Well, it was difficult. Uh, we did what everybody else did. We we Zoomed a lot of programs. We had book talks. We even had cooking classes online. Um, it's not quite the same as everyone knows, but it we, we tried to stay connected as much as we could. When things loosened up a little, we had some outdoor events. Um, but it was it was primarily Zoom. Okay, and but where did this cookbook idea come from? Because obviously you need you know you're a nonprofit, but you're still going to make some money to stay up and survive. So how did you guys come up with uh, the cookbook concept? Well, until the pandemic, we had been um, covering our operating costs with costs with classes and lectures and whatever else we had. And that stopped in March of that terrible year. So we were fine, but we did have a shortfall. And what we realized was that the thing we missed most was the connection with our community. I mean, that's what we're there to do. And um, so we thought that a community cookbook would be a good way to bring the community back together. It would bring us all back to our communal table. And it's also just a feel good thing. Food, food means family and community and friends and fellowship. And so we reached out to um, our teachers, many of whom are here today, to our community, to the staff, to the volunteers, uh, and we gathered over 140 recipes, and they come from everything from a two-star Michelin chef to, you know, your neighbor's artichoke dip. So it's quite a variety of recipes, and it also was very appropriate because the first community cookbook was written in 1864. And we, that was the same year that Abraham Lincoln commissioned the building that now is the Hill Center. So there was this nice circularity about the whole thing that, uh, that, that felt right. And it was, everyone was thrilled to do it because it was, it's just a good way to connect with people. Well, I love that. And I think it's in, uh, it is a good way to connect. Everybody needed a, a different project other than focusing what was going on. On that note, I'm gonna head over to Bonnie Benwick. Uh, Bonnie, it's so nice to have you on this show. You've certainly been on my other show before. Um, so you had left your position at the Washington Post. You've been with the food section for, for as long as I knew you, so a really long time. Uh, but uh, how did you get involved with the Hill Center? What was it about it that attracted you? What were you doing that worked for you with it? Well, uh, I had taken classes. Uh, there's a class that Chef Gerard Pingo, who always sells out, does uh, dinner classes. And I had taken them there, so I was familiar with the kitchen. <clears throat> when I published the, when I edited, um, and it was published, the Washington Post cookbook, Reader's Favorite Recipes. So I, first of all, Still on my coffee table. I want that's to so nice. That's so nice. I, first of all, I, I have to give a on-air shout out to Bonnie because uh, editing 
pulling recipes from lots of different sources from people who can <laughs> write recipes and people who aren't quite familiar with writing recipes is a is a is a real labor of love. So congratulations to the great job that that Bonnie and her uh, proofreading team did. Um, so uh, when the post cookbook came out, we had a um, presentation and a talk at the Hill Center, and somebody said, "Blah blah blah," you know why don't you teach here? So I was happy to do that. And we, I started, I think it was 2013, that we started doing holiday baking classes. The cookie section would come out for the post food section in early December. And so I went in and picked a couple of recipes that would work in the class. It was a, like a two, two and a half hour class where we would do four recipes. And it's so much fun. I mean, everybody's in a good mood. You're eating cookies okay. in the middle of the day. Um, I gave them, uh, included in the price of the class, we would have, uh, you know what fish tubs are? Like restaurant supply, it's a yeah. flat thing so that people could take home the cookies or sometimes they would take home dough. It was a, it's a little bit of a challenge to get out of there on time sometimes. <laughs> I bet. Um, yeah. I bet it's, you know, that's fun, you know, so it's hard to keep those things under the time structure, I would assume. People are chatting, they're high on sugar. I mean, there's a lot <laughs> of there. Yeah, but well, we always had a good time. And then over the years, um, every year we would do the class. Um, the COVID sort of put a kibosh on that, and it's really not as fun taking a cooking class on Zoom, although I've certainly taken my share over the past uh, 19 months. Um, but it's much more fun to do cookies in person. And the same people, I would say a group of maybe four or five women would show up for every year. So it was kind of like a group getting together and that was really fun. Over the summer, one of them got in touch with me while I was on vacation actually and said, oh, they're gonna open back up. Are you doing those classes? I'm like, uh, I don't know. So I contacted the director and it was really because of Joan um, that that all got happening. And then uh, Lisa Olson, the director said, why don't you do two classes instead of one? Because normally the class is kind of jam-packed at 16 or someone else comes in at the last minute, but we reduced it to 12, which is a much nicer number for mm -hmm. that space in the kitchen. And uh, people don't have to duck every time the oven doors open, things like that. So um, so we're I'm doing classes with my old buddy, Jane Tuzelin. Uh, who also retired from the Washington Post and was the Post's, I would say, premier copy editor of all time. Mm -hmm. um, I worked with her a million years ago at the Journal Newspapers, and she loves cookies as much as I do. So she's coming back in town for these classes. They're December 4th and December 11th, and I think there's just like a couple spots left in each class. End of that plug. Well, we will make sure that those are, if they're not already, we'll make sure they're up on the website. Tell me about uh, this community cookbook and how, what you sort of contributed uh, and why you felt it was important. Um, when they reached out, I was really happy to do it. Like I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I love cookbooks and I love the Hill Center and was willing to do whatever they needed. And they said at least one I sent two, I could have sent more. And um, I like the, the mix of the local uh, longtime Capitol Hill names like Megan Rosenfeld, who happened to work at the Post for a long time. And even, you know, aunts and relatives of people who work at the Hill Center that I noticed, as well as a good number from Bill and from Marianne, from Chef Pango. You know, there's just a great uh, range of recipes in there. I, I submitted two. I did a, a salsa that's got a lot of fruit and bright flavors in it. It's kind of a chunky relish thing that I usually make uh, when I get very depressed in the wintertime. And uh, it's got blood oranges, which are my favorite. And also uh, a, something called date night pasta, which it's not like I'm seeing anybody, but um, I called it date night because it's got uh, chopped up dates in it. So it's just a, it's a meatless quick pasta that's very dramatic looking because it has some radicchio that you saute and, and I end up making it, you know, every once in a while. And it's good. So I, I was happy to submit it. I love that. Um, it sounds delicious. Remind me when we are off air, I'll tell you a story about my visit to Dateland, which I did not know at the time was a place where they grew lots of dates. 
<laughs> oh, excellent. All right. California. I mean, like lots of dates, like all they do is dates. Um, anyway, well, that's a uh, terrific Bonnie. And it's so good to see you, Bill. I want to bring you on. Um, Bill Schindler, he came on industry night when we were still uh, pre-pandemic, when we were still out of the line hotel uh, in our very sexy studio, which was lots of fun. And uh, you're an archaeologist and a culinary historian. You have lots of stuff going on. You have a new cookbook. Tell us a little bit about what you've been up to. I, you know, it's actually really funny that uh, the night that you and I did that interview at the hotel, as soon as I left that interview, I went to a meeting on a couch out in the, the lobby area and met my uh, now literary agent. And then, and then and it just sparked it all. It was a fantastic night. So uh, up to I a lot, we- maker, um, I am the maker of all things. If you have- yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> it all started that okay. night. Yes, it's gonna happen. So um, I'm super excited about this cookbook and being a part of it. And, and I can't wait to, to talk about that as well. But lately, I was teaching at Washington College here in Chestertown, Maryland, on the Eastern Shore, and recently uh, broke away. And my wife and I have started what we call the Modern Stone Age Kitchen. It's a, a foodery here in Chestertown, Maryland, where we make, uh, we, we use ancestral and traditional approaches to food to make food as nourishing as possible and we actually everything that's in the book eat like a human is act is we make it come to life in the modern stone age kitchen so is the modern stone age kitchen a restaurant or are you producing food that people can uh, like buy in stores it's both uh, you can imagine you know we're doing everything entirely from scratch every bit of cheese that we serve on any everything is made in-house uh, we, we ferment the butter we butcher the animals we ferment anything that will bubble and um, we, it's all done there. So we're only open three days a week right now. Uh, and our staff is growing. It's an amazing team we have that we've built. So we do. Why don't you tell people we, what days of the week you're open? Sure. Right at the moment, we're open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, Thursdays, we uh, are also at the Ken Island Farmer's Market. Mm -hmm. On Thursdays, we also have uh, takeaway 100% from scratch uh, taco kits. We import maize from Oaxaca, Mexico, nishtamalize the maize and stone grind it, make all the tortillas. We make the cheese. We, we, we do the meat. And then on Fridays, we do takeaway wood-fired pizzas. Same thing. We make all the pepperoni. We make all the sausages from local animals. We uh, make all the cheese, sourdough crust. We have a sourdough bakery in there called Rise. And um, our, we're, again, we're growing. We're doing a lot of bone broths, fermented butters, pâtés, those sorts of things. I feel like a field trip is in order. Um, I would love to have you. I think that's a, maybe the Hill Center can arrange like a trip to go see what Bill's doing in Chestertown, right? Um, just yeah. seats. Um, so, all right, Bill, but you do come up here and you do do classes at the Hill Center. Who found who first? How'd that happen? You know, one of the first, my family and I moved to the Eastern Shore 15 years ago. And one of the first people we met was Bonnie Wolf at this wonderful dinner at Out of the Fire in Easton. We had, it was a big lunch. And serendipitously, I sat across from Bonnie and we hit it off immediately. She has become a dear friend to not only me, but my entire family. And when the Hill Center opened, she asked if I could teach a class. And she said, how about a forging class? And we had done some forging together, uh, Bonnie and I, uh, several times. And I said, really, I'd love to. And all, up until that point, all the forging classes I've taught were always in a very rural or at least a suburban setting. And it was a challenge, but an awesome challenge to teach an urban foraging class, literally in the middle of Washington, D.C. And uh, I think other than the year I was on sabbatical in Ireland and COVID, that class has run at least once, sometimes several times a year out of the Hill Center. And we start at the Hill Center. We forage for several hours all the way to, to the Capitol uh, and then come back. And then we spend a couple hours cooking all of the food that we forage from the cracks in the sidewalks and the vacant lots and the, and the fields or the fields, uh, the parks, at least on the way to the Capitol. So when you, uh, I mean, I'm obviously fascinated by that class. When you uh, decided to participate, to contribute to the cookbook here, um, did you want to include dishes that you made based on your foraging in the city? Absolutely. So the idea, and I've taught a few other classes, and we, weird ones, they're always weird for some reason when it comes to me, but uh, I, I've taught a couple times a class completely dedicated to fat and, and how to use fats. And we've been so become so disassociated from real high quality fat today, especially in our kitchens, that 
Um, it's a fat that's, or I'm sorry, it's a class that's focused on, on marrow and lard and tallow and schmaltz and real butter. Um, so I wanted a combination of something from that and the com and something from the foraging class. So the two contributions that I have, uh, one is uh, a, a mayonnaise. It's actually called omeganaise. So because it's using um, the highest quality oil that we can use. And I'd love to talk about that in a second. And the other is a roasted marrow bone and, and wild bitter green salad that we put on sourdough bread. And the cool thing about that is, you know, first of all, marrow was the very first fat our ancestors ever had access to. Um, we have evidence for our ancestors consuming marrow 3.4 million years ago. So marrow, I think, is one of the most nutritious foods on the planet. It's incredibly nutrient dense. It is delicious. Um, it works well in a number of different ways. And one of the, the ways that we use it in the foraging class is that a lot of wild plants have a slightly bitter note to them, kind of like dandelions. And, as, and we all know that fat and bitterness go very well together. That's why dandelion salads usually are cooked with bacon or have a bacon dressing. So we use uh, marrow to, to complement a lot of the bitter flavors that we get from the, the plants that we're picking in the cracks in the sidewalks. Well, I mean, I think that um, makes a lot of sense. I'm sure when people first hear marrow, I mean, nobody, I mean, I don't want to prepare my own marrow personally, but I'm <laughs> happy when somebody puts it on a plate in front of me because uh, it is uh, delicious. So which were the recipes that you did? Did you do that one? And are you- Yeah, so we, we, we did them both. Okay. We did the marrow, the marrow bone and, and, and a bitter green salad. And then the omega maize is literally just a basic mayonnaise, right. but we're really focusing on using, in this case, we're using avocado oil. The, um, today, the omega-3, omega-6 ratios in our diets are so out of whack. Uh, we have, most of us have 16 times the amount of omega-6 than omega-3s in our diets. And uh, anthropologists suggest that our ancestors were eating a diet that the ratio was one to one, omega-3, omega-6. So as far as an oil is concerned to make mayonnaise with, avocado is a pretty good choice. Olive oil is a good choice as well, but olive oil is a, is a strong flavor. So by using avocado oil, we have a very neutral flavor. Um, not only do we have a better ratio of omega-3 and omega-6, but we also throw in some omega-9s. So it's a mayonnaise that I love to serve my family. It tastes delicious and I feel really good about. Oh, and did you make any recommendations with that mayonnaise about like perking it up with other flavors or anything like that? I, I didn't in that. It was mostly just focused on, on using the highest quality oils that we could use. But okay. absolutely. I mean, garlic and lemon and all sorts of different things would certainly help. A little sriracha would not hurt it. Right? Not at all. Not a, at all. a little spice. I'm going to kick that mayonnaise up. Um, I love that. Um, I'm going to come back to you at the end so you can tell everybody about your new book and where to find it. Um, and Bonnie, I will come back to you. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Mary Ann Tishimba, how are you? So Mary uh, I'm good. Thank you. Cookies at my house last night. And I've never <laughs> met her before, but um she totally and completely had my number in the kind of cookies that she dropped off. Because mm -hmm. I like shortbread cookies. Like I like really buttery almost savory but not savory cookies like I like a little yes. bit of sweet and um oh and you gave me spicy a spicy cookie and it's yes. so I was like I don't how does she know me so well this is <laughs> You know, it's, it's, we were talking about, you were, you know, Bill, you were just talking about fat and I think fat and heat go so well together was as well. Um, and so I, that was, I think that was my, uh, my, uh, uh, my chili lime uh, shortbread, which I, you know, I sprinkle with a little bit of salt too, because you want to get that savory note in there and it brings out that butter. So yeah, so I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, I just want to tell you not to go down a rabbit hole, but I would not only serve that with like cheeses, which I think would be lovely, but mm -hmm. I would also put like a little like fig jam or something like that. on. Yes. Like it, yes. Could, go, it could go sweet and it could go savory. Like it could go, it could go either way. So I, uh, the, now the other cookie was a uh, was the barberry. It's like the Iranian berry, um, and I um, and so I, I dropped them off at, at another person's house, and they decided to drizzle some balsamic vinegar on them, and they said it just kicked it up a notch. So if you have some more, okay, yes, you bet. Um, I got. I don't know what was going on during the pandemic, but I have so much balsamic in my house, <laughs> and olive oil. I want to say I just. 
I have lots of it. So yeah. I can, now I'm going to make that mayonnaise, use the <laughs> olive oil, and uh, uh, <laughs> I have all the balsamic. So Marianne, let's hear a little yeah. bit about your background yeah. and how you started. So uh, my background is in event planning. Um, I've been an event planner for over 20 years in the DC area. And uh, luckily for me, so many of my events happened overseas. So I got to travel everywhere over uh, to over 30 countries. And um, the, you know, the thing about events is that they're very highly stressful. And, uh, but once they're over, they're over. So I always built in time for myself after the event to just do what I love most, which is visiting farmers, visiting restaurants, going to markets and producers and, you know, just, uh, just, um, just accosting people on the street about, you know, how do you use this ingredient and that ingredient? And I cannot tell you how many times I've been invited into strangers' homes, you know, and they would just cook for me or just uh, show me how to make things. And that's, and that's just my, that's my happy place. So then the pandemic hit, so that was that was it for my uh, for the um, uh, for my conferences. It was, that was dead. The event planning um, business was dead, and uh, now I had already started teaching cooking classes at the Hill Center when we all pivoted to online. So I was teaching online classes at the Hill Center. And so just kind of word started getting out. And then I uh, started to get some mentions in the press and I'm regularly on, on Good Morning Washington, just talking about what I love, which is um, international foods and introducing Americans uh, to foods that they may not be familiar with. Now, we in the Washington, D.C. area are so lucky because we are there, I can't even tell you how many international grocery stores we have here. No, and even I say, this is a very we are in a culinary bubble. Yes, when it comes to the educated palates. Absolutely, of who live and work here because yeah. our access to ingredients mm -hmm. is insane. Yes. Yes. And but, but then also as, as the, the, the there's huge changing demographics in the in in, in the American population all over the, the states. And, uh, I, and I think that you know, years ago, the focus for immigrants was assimilation. Well, now they feel like, you know, we do not need to assimilate. We love the American food, but we also love our own foods and our own culture and our own, and our own, um, and our own habits and mores. And we, so we, and they bring foods to their communities, whether it's in North Carolina or Milwaukee or, or all over the country. And then there's this whole, um, uh, we, we have availability of ingredients that we can order online as well. So for that reason, I think that there's a there's a, a huge spread of international ingredients and access to these ingredients all over the country. What I like to do is kind of show people how to incorporate those ingredients in their everyday cooking. So that's good. Well, I love that because I think for a lot of people who let's say love a certain kind of cuisine and mm -hmm. would love to replicate it at home. Yes. Sometimes they're scared. Sometimes or right. there's a there's a little fear in cooking sometimes. Absolutely. So which I mean, I'm sure Bonnie Benwick can talk about like fear of baking. Like people are so cautious, they're so afraid of screwing up. Yeah. At the end of the day, if it doesn't taste good, throw it, like put it in compost, start over exactly. again. You know exactly. what I mean? Like it's it's food. Um and it should be a joy to prepare it. So mm -hmm. as you were cooking classes, what were some of the uh, recipes that you were um, giving to people and that you saw the most feedback from? Uh, well, you know, one of the most popular ones was pad thai. I mean, everyone loves pad thai, right? And for some reason, a lot of people just don't cook it very much. And it's one of the easiest recipes to do. You can, it could be on the table uh, in half an hour, um, the most time-consuming part of, uh, of pad thai is the chopping, right? Mm -hmm. Because once every, all your ingredients are prepped, it all comes together very, very quickly. And I just, I, it, this pad thai class always sells out. Um, there are others where, for example, there's a, um, a Brazilian stew, um, uh, fish stew that I make. And again, it comes together very, very quickly, but I like to introduce an ingredient that they may not know about. Uh, it's like red palm oil. 
which is one of the uh, one of uh, like we're talking about the uh, uh, healthy fats again. Yeah, you know, and this is unrefined, unrefined um, uh, red palm oil, but it adds this nutty sweet flavor to anything that it touches. And so you know, it's, it's uh, this um, uh, so this Brazilian fish stew is absolutely wonderful. And I always send uh, uh, people home with uh, a little bottle of the of uh, red palm oil, which you can find locally here in in uh, our grocery stores, but then also online. Oh, very interesting. So are those a few recipes that you gave to the cookbook as a con uh, contributor? So the, uh, for, the, I didn't know, in my, as a contributor, I gave uh, my bacalao, um, my bolinhos de bacalao recipe. I love Brazilian codfish balls. There are this, this codfish and uh, potatoes and egg, and it's oh, just fantastic um, uh, appetizer. Mm -hmm. I also did a shakshuka. Which is, you know, getting, yeah, everybody loves texture. That's a fa fantastic. It's so funny. Dish. Honestly, like, I feel like 10 years ago, and I bet Bonnie could speak to this, Bonnie Benwick, like, you didn't see shashuka anywhere. And anywhere. I, it's like on every menu. It's everywhere. Menu. Exactly. Exactly. So it's easy and it's delicious. And it's like, who, who, what's not to love about it? Um, and uh, Dahi toast. Now, that was, uh, a, I, I heard about it on a podcast. Mm -hmm. And it is a yogurt sandwich, if you can imagine such a thing. I mean, it just sounded so weird. So you take yogurt and you add, uh, you know, shallots and, uh, and Indian spices, and then you fry these big pieces of, uh, of sourdough. Um, and uh, it's and it's absolutely delicious. I have never I've never it just blew my mind because I was like, wait a minute. I just don't understand the concept of a yogurt sandwich. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense, but well, it so maybe, amazingly makes together. Maybe like sometimes things are named wrong. I right. with recipes, like, or <laughs> dishes on, on a menu. I read a menu and I'm like, nobody's going to order that. Cause they don't, right. it, cause it doesn't sell it. Right. Yeah. So right. You were turned on by a yogurt sandwich, but maybe not everybody else's, you know right. what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. Cool yeah. All right. I'm going to bring back Bonnie Wolf. Hi, Bonnie Wolf. Hello. Hi. Okay. So you brought all these people together to put together this uh, community cookbook. And um, when you were curating it, were there certain things where you were like, no, yogurt sandwich out the door? I mean, what was it? Or mayonnaise? That sounds boring, which I'm just kidding, Bill. It's not boring. But, um, <laughs> you know, what did you, as you were curating, because that's the hardest part. Um, and editing, obviously. Um, how did you go about doing that? Well, to be perfectly honest, mm -hmm. I didn't throw out many recipes. My inclination was to be inclusive and it just sort of worked out. There were very few things I didn't want to use with the possible exception of peanut butter on celery sticks as an appetizer. Okay. Um, that's very but other than that, if, and, and it I'm was strange. Annoyed if somebody if somebody gave that to you, I'm actually annoyed for you. So. Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, but it it was also oddly balanced. People, there were you know the right number of meats, the right number of pastas, the right number of egg dishes. There were more desserts than anything else, and I don't know if it was because it was the pandemic and we wanted comfort or if we just have such a sweet tooth that, and, but it, it, the recipes were interesting because the, the, the population we drew from was it so interesting. There were, you know, this is Capitol Hill. And so it was a lot of people from different countries, from different states, from different backgrounds. So there were just so many interesting things and we also got recipes uh we have art shows every six weeks we got recipes from the artists and their work is shown in the book we got recipes from the potters who come to our pottery show every year so it was just this this you know i loved having the omega maze at, and the yogurt sandwich i mean who wouldn't right it sounds amazing okay so we need to wrap up the show. I love talking to each of you and I'd really love to like okay, talk to each of you in a uh, different capacity. Um, 
So, but right now, if everybody would just tell us where we can find you on Instagram and then Bonnie Wolf will come back to you, tell everybody where they can buy the book. Bill, where can we find you on Instagram? Okay, I, you can find me at, at Dr. Bill Schindler, at Dr. Bill Schindler, and also at the Modern Stone Age Kitchen. Okay, and we are totally doing a field trip to the Modern Stone Age Kitchen. I cannot wait. Bonnie Benwick, where can we find you? Uh, B Benwick at Instagram. I'm not on Facebook, Meta, or whatever that other thing is, and I got off Twitter a couple of years ago. So I also have a website, BonnieBenwick.com. Excellent. Bonnie, good to see you. Thanks so much. Mary Ann, where can we find you? I, my website, gastrosoul.com, and, uh, and my Instagram and Facebook and YouTube as gastrosoullady. Excellent. Thank you so much. It was so good to have all of you. Bonnie Wolf, tell everybody, please, where we can find this wonderful cookbook and also where they can find out about more classes happening at the Hill Center. At hillcenterdc.org. And I just want to mention, this is obviously the perfect holiday gift. With that. So keep that in mind. All proceeds go to the Hill Center. So. Right. And I just want to thank all the people who contributed. You were all just terrific. And thank you, Nikki, for having us. Of course. Well, I want to thank you all for joining us today. That was a terrific show. It is not every day you get uh, Monsieur Jacques Pepin to join you to talk about all the incredible things he's doing. And what an amazing gift to give to that food lover in your life. So obviously, great thanks to uh Chef Pepin for joining me today and to all the great people, Bonnie Wolf, Bonnie Benbook, Bill Schindler, Marianne Giumba, uh, for sharing uh, their journey in putting the A Taste of Hill Center recipes from our community table together. Uh, another great show of Industry Night, no duh period. So I want to thank you all for joining me as always. Uh, the holiday is coming. Hopefully you're able to gather with your family and enjoy this Thanksgiving holiday. Last year was really different. Hopefully this year is uh, better in most ways. So uh, if you're not vaccinated, please get so. You can now get that booster. If you're asked to mask, please do. Remember there are still staff shortages and uh, lots of supply disruption happening all around this country. A little kindness can help. I hope you all have a wonderful and safe, happy holiday and have a delicious week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis, Real Fun DC.